want to welcome everybody to this evening's Mallory Report. Before we begin, let's remind everybody that the views and opinions of the show are those of the hosts and the guests and do not reflect anybody else, the, any networks or affiliates or sponsors, anybody else that may be impacted by the show. If you're upset by the program, uh, email me at, well, come to my website and find my email address. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Sean, me and Sean are having a little too much fun here. This could end up in a number of great places. Um, but Sean, the girl, the author of Malcontent, there's a subtitle here. I've got the book somewhere on my desk. It's uh, a little dark. Uh, just Malcontent, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's Con- Confession by Conduct. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Good, Jim. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So let's 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 work backwards and then we'll okay. work forwards. Uh, obviously, well, I know this. You were in law enforcement for a number of years, so I'm guessing that has some sort of um, interest in what you wanted to, how you wanted to do this book. Absolutely, and in fact, it's my law enforcement experience that made me look at Oswald's actions and words the way I did for this book. So. So let's go. Let's go way back then. Let's go back. Okay. I'm guessing childhood is when you be, got interested in becoming a a cop at first. Uh, uh, yes, and when I was ten, I moved to Dallas, and my parents and I were having dinner on top of the Reunion Arena uh, restaurant that's on top of there. And as it revolves 360 degrees slowly around downtown Dallas, my dad points down to Dealey Plaza and said, "Hey, well, that's where President Kennedy was shot." Of course, moving from Southern California to Dallas, I had no idea what he was talking about. So I said, tell me more. And he goes, well, some people think um, a guy shot him from this building here, and some people think he was shot from this fence over here. And right then and there began this odyssey uh, of having to know what exactly happened, coupled with me always wanting to be a police officer. So it's kind of like the perfect storm. Yeah, I was going to say, I have this scribbled in my notes for later, but let's go there since we're here now. Uh, you did a presentation, uh, I think it was May, at, at the sixth, the sixth floor museum. Talk right. to me about being in that building. I mean, I've seen, I, I've never been, so let's, let's start there. But, I mean, you've seen it all of your life. Of course, you've seen it all of your life in a different way. But how does it compare to the pictures that we see from November 63? For those who have not been to Dealey Plaza or the book depository, it's extremely small. You know, these pictures make it look like it's an expansive piece of land uh, and that it's wide open and it's, and it's really it's shockingly small. Uh, so if those of your listeners who have not been, if they ever get a chance to go down there, they can see for themselves. They can stand behind the concrete fence, I mean, the picket fence with a concrete wall. They can stand next to Oswald's window. And when they do that, when you're actually there in person, you can see how easy this was for Oswald to pull off. And it was quite thrilling to, when I met the uh, curator for the Sixth Floor Museum, to go down and go to the room where uh, we gave the interview. It was just fascinating to see parts of the book depository that I've never seen before. In fact, most people uh, never will. It's, it's thrilling. I was going to say, I can't imagine. Because I know, there, you know there's just places, well, as you mentioned, that are off quote unquote limits but still nevertheless just cause, you know I look at all these pictures you know the the still black and white pictures and you try to because it's a six story building that's it but it seems it's massive oh sorry well anyways but it seems <laughs> massive when you're looking all the all the angles like, are taken up the hill right and so it makes it they look do. big right absolutely well I brought my 10 year old son Gibson he was 10 years old at the time last year and I brought him with me to the interview, and then afterwards, Mr. Fagan let us go to the museum. Um, and we went up there, and I showed my son Gibson. He stood in the window and was like, Daddy, this is an easy, easy shot. And it's amazing just when people, when I was standing there, I was listening to comments of people standing around me. And they were, they were amazed, almost aghast, at, at how easy this shot is. It looks so far away, and it looks, you know, it, it, looks, it looks almost like an impossible shot. But when you get there, absolutely that's a no-brainer. So that's interesting. I, well, I mean, besides the moving element, but of course. when the car well, was moving, you know, but they're moving slow at that well, point because of the corner. He's moving correct. He's moving slow, and he's moving down, and he's moving to the left. So it's, it, you couldn't really plan it any more perfectly than what, what happened. Uh, it's just one of these things. It's a happenstance of history. It's one of these things where 
uh, all these elements came together and uh, unfortunately made it really easy for Oswald. So before before we get too far into this, I, I can I can already mm-hmm. sense this eye roll from some people out there. Oh, here we go again, another JFK assassination <laughs> show, right? You've you've right. probably experienced this. Stay with oh, me yeah. because this is explosively different than anything that I've read. And I've had a number of guests on about this subject, and this isn't about this isn't about JFK. This is about Lee Harvey Oswald, who is a polarizing figure in and amongst himself. And then what you did, hey, let me, I, I told you it was a good book. I'm going to, I'm going to step up here. Now we're on the air. The de- the level of detail in this book is amazing. Is there, I mean, the footnotes and then all of the uh, previously unreleased um, information that you have in there. It is just, I have it. Like I said, it's just amazing. I'll just say that. So kudos well, to you for putting you. it together. Well, thank you. A couple of things come into play with that. First of all, um, I have a degree in history, and when you, you know, when you're in, in studies, you have to use primary sources. And that's why I use. I don't use uh, typically secondary sources if I can help it, because whenever you need, whenever you have stories that conflict, you always go back to the primary sources. And so, if you use secondary sources, you're using sources that somebody else picked for you. I go straight to the primary sources, and the reason why it's so thoroughly documented as a cop. They teach in the academy, if you don't document it, it didn't happen. So whenever I say something in this book, I have a footnote at the bottom of that page saying exactly where I got it. It's not my conjecture unless I say it is or my opinion. If it's so, I'll say that. Otherwise, everything is documented. So when I say something, you can go to that source, and that source is going to be a primary source. Much like um, Michael Payne's unpublished document, uh, manuscript in Oswald that I published for the first time. Yeah, like I said, there's so much, there's so much interesting stuff in there. So, let's start with the easy, easy source that I noticed a lot of, which is a great thing, which is the Warren Report. Now, a lot of people have had issues with that. How did you feel just that standalone document came together? Well, well, it's it's not perfect. Um, there are a lot of elements, things, forces working for and against them. Uh, we understand a lot of political reading. We understand that, but. Most people who disparage the Warren Commission have not even read the Warren Report. I would imagine have not either read the Warren Report or the 26 volumes. You know, back in the day, you had to get a, um, a physical copy of all these volumes. Now, you can get them on disc, and in fact, you can get them free online. So there's no excuse not to look at these documents. Sometimes they're jumbled, they're not in order, but it really offers you a, uh, it's a time capsule about how we lived back then. And these, there are witnesses and documents uh, in these volumes that most people are not aware of. So I think if they want to criticize it, you have to study it and get educated. I have not read the whole thing. I've read snippets of it. I've got, I've got to make time. Yeah, it's, it, well, is, it, it is interesting, report, though. It is. Now, the Warren Commission report itself is available on audio. So if you don't want to read it, um, you, know, you can listen to it on the way to work, to and from work, or you know, laying around the house. You don't actually have to read that. Now, the volumes themselves you have to read, but the Warren Report itself, you can listen to it. So there's really no excuse for those who are really interested in it uh, to spend the time and, and get to know what's in there. He said listen to it. He doesn't mean right this second. Calm down. Oh. <laughs> <I can decide. laughs> yeah. Or come back later. Either way. Um, That's right. Not right now. <laughs> The, the first thing that always jumps to my mind when I when we start talking Kennedy assassination to me is the conflict that I see immediately is how the Secret Service immediately scooped the body and got it out of out of Dallas, and but they left right. the Dallas police in charge of the investigation and all that. Right. Right. Being a law enforcement officer yourself, do you see my conflict in this? No, I, I do. I understand people's concern on this matter. And it's kind of beyond the purview of what my book is about. However, my own personal thoughts are that I, I kind of go back to Jackie Kennedy. Jackie Kennedy, did not, she just had her husband brutally murdered right in front of her. Uh, she will not leave without her husband's body. Lyndon Johnson will not leave without Jackie. So if Lyndon won't leave without Jackie and Jackie won't leave without JFK, I think it's a no-brainer. You know, enough had happened to the Kennedys in Texas they wanted to leave. 
And I don't see it as destroying evidence. I see it as them trying to get out of Dodge because I don't think they knew was this conspiracy. Were, you know, were there, you know, conspirators out there? They had no idea. They don't want to get back to their safe haven, the White House. And uh, so for me, I understand people's concern about it, but I just don't see it uh, any other way. It's it's just one of those things that, you know, uh, you know, especially as we trot, trot down the the foxhole of conspiracy, it's kind of that sure. first moment of, uh, you know. So, okay, so let's get into Lee Harvey Oswald. You have okay. uh, a number of his uh, well, transcripts from or commentary from the investigators who interviewed him in New Orleans, what was that, September of 63? That was in August. August. August, correct. 63. <laughs> That's close. So why don't we give what, what, <laughs> give me a brief <laughs> overview of those? I obviously don't want you to read them verbatim or anything, but just kind of how that all starts starts the ball forward. Well, that's when Oswald really becomes comes into the uh, public domain is when he's arrested in New Orleans for distributing the Pro Castro leaflets uh, in downtown. So you know, when you get part of my book is I illustrate the dichotomy between the New Orleans arrest and the Dallas arrest. So when Oswald is arrested, he doesn't fight. He is not armed. And hence, he doesn't try to kill his arresting officers. He willingly is arrested. When he gets to the police station, um, he begs, or he requests, anyways, to be interviewed by the FBI. So then in Dallas, you have a totally different, you have a totally opposite Oswald. Uh, so I think it's very interesting to see um, that this is Oswald's emergence into uh the public arena and the way he acted. It is an interesting request to be interviewed by the FBI for just well, a little street crime in, in New Orleans. Well, he was playing cat and mouse with the FBI. I think the reason why Oswald wanted to do this was to see what the FBI knew of him. Because uh, he had been questioned before when he returned from Russia to Fort Worth. He'd been questioned by the FBI before. So I think he just wanted to see uh, if what the FBI knew about him and if they were still interested you know, I think that's really all it was. I don't think it's anything more than that. I know. I know this is pure subjecture on my part. Could you imagine yeah. that that type of thing today? Because back 1963, as I, I slapped my notebook here, saying everything is on paper. So if you run right. into an FBI agent in New Orleans, the odds of them even remotely having a clue who you are is a lot less than some guy today who can type it in the computer and bring it up on the database that all this information. That's correct. And people have to remember that. And what I say in the book too, about the Dallas police procedures back then is that law enforcement of the 1960s is in no way similar to law enforcement in today's world. And people have to put themselves back into the 1960s and, and, and how things were done. And even today, yes, the federal bureau of investigation type your name in, they'd have a file available immediately. But surprisingly, even when I was in law enforcement, you know, federal agencies are reluctant to talk to local agencies. It's almost like, hey, it's my information, and I'm not going to give you much because I'm in control of it. So you would think that all these agencies would talk together with each other, but a lot of times that still doesn't happen. Um, but back then, it was a lot easier just to get away with something uh, because, like, forensic evidence, for example, really didn't exist back then. But now it's, just, it's one-on-one police work. It'd be like an awesome show, CSI 1960s. Of course, all they'd have is fingerprints, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It'd be a short show, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, it probably wouldn't be nationally acclaimed like the the other ones are today. No, no. It's <laughs> just, it's just remarkable to think of, you know, because like you said, you've got to place yourself back there. And I found myself, of course, okay. I'm, I'm younger than that, so you have to kind of, you know, right. age, age and think and go, Oh yeah, that's you know, especially when I I start seeing some of these you know handwritten statements and stuff, and it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah about that, or the type you know the uh, typed up notes that you know where I'm like, and then I sit there and go, oh god, I'd hate to be that guy. Has you know be right. Oh you're, no, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Even the the interrogation. Yeah, exactly. Even the interrogation of Oswald. Somebody there should have said to themselves, "This is a momentous interrogation, a momentous event. We should record this." Somebody should have stepped up. Nobody did, and that's un- it's inexcusable. However, they didn't record statements back then, 
or Lisa Dallison. And in fact, my own agency, which is the fourth largest sheriff's office in Florida, did not record uh, statements uh, until well into the 2000s. So we'll have to remember that's the way it was. It should have been done. Obviously, it been great to be preserved that for all of posterity. It didn't happen. And that's the way things were done back then, unfortunately. Okay, so we've got a bunch of different statements here in Dallas. Let's go. We're moving to Dallas now. There's a bunch yeah. of different statements, but how many times was he actually questioned? Because I got, lo- well, got lost in the book and wasn't paying attention to that. It, no, it, no, it does, and it's, it's, it's you know it's it's staggered. So he's you know he's questioned for a total of twelve hours while he's in custody. So he's questioned for a while, and then he, for a few hours, and he's brought upstairs again, and then that's the other problem with the interrogation is. You know, Hostie shows up, and then you have the postal inspector showing up. Then you have other federal officers showing up. So, you know, it, it, the way it was done is not ideal, and he was interviewed multiple times. Uh, then he would interrupt the, the um, interrogation to go do a lineup several times. So it wasn't ideal, and it certainly wasn't the way when I was a cop. I'm looking at this. I'm kind of cringing. But once again, that's just the way they did things back then. There were very few standards. In fact, I published parts of a 1960s Dallas police manual in the back of my book, which no one has ever done, and it shows that there are no rules, essentially, for something like this. Well, I mean, let alone, I mean, you got something like this, and then you got something like, I'm bringing it down a few levels, this. You know? Like, Correct. Correct. Just, That's uh, right. Just, That's I right. mean, like when he shot Tippett, like shooting a, pol- a police officer, just like that, and then they're shooting a president, which is a whole other ball of wax and um right i can't imagine i mean i just i look at some of the like the um the newsreel from like when he was being walked out and then got shot by jack ruby or just any of that any of the experience that you know because there was times i mean he held a press conference at one point right where they somebody was questioning right i'm I'm thankful that (laughs) i'm thankful that the dallas police did that even though it was very unsafe um when they're take him in the hallways between you know the homicide and robbery office to the uh the uh lineup or to the midnight press conference that he was able to speak to the media because those recorded statements you know are what i used for the first computer voice stress analysis i did for lee harvey oswald so i'm glad they have it uh you know going back to oswald shooting there's no excuse for that they should have transferred him in the middle of the night due to a lot of safety concerns and Otherwise, but when I published in my book, the press relations or the media relations policy, the police were supposed to bend over backwards to um, appease the media because they are the ones that report on police activity. It was uh, uh, an error on the police. I'm not apologist for the police. Make a mistake, I'm going to tell you. Um, but that's just what the, the way things were done back then. The police and media had a very good relationship during that time. Unbelievable to uh, think of that now. I'm just sitting here thinking. Can you imagine um, trying to think of a no, no. Uh, uh, some some kind of equivalent person like? Uh, well, we'll take the Unabomber for example. You know, being <laughs> well, the press allowed in to talk to him while between interviews and all that. I'm just like, I'm sitting here going, how's that? I mean, in the state, I mean, like in the station, just hanging out and then running out and getting. I just right. I mean, we never happen today. As I said, that just seems bad for business having people hanging around doing whatever. Of course. Oh, they should have cleared the uh, the PD. They should have done all of that. They should have had a, a media staging area. There's a lot of things they should have done. They didn't. It wasn't anything nefarious or criminal. It was that they were trying to acquiesce to the hordes of worldwide media that just is on their doorstep all of a sudden. And how do you react? And, and, and they were behind the curve from the beginning. And they're trying to, um, trying to do the best they could when they're thrust into the situation. And, uh, as we know, it wasn't good enough. No, but of that's not. A, I mean that's a whole other can of worms right there, right? Sure. That man, this is it's just fascinating to think about those because he was in custody for I want to say what was it? I'm forty eight hours. My, I was going to say I'm counting on my fingers. I was going to say forty forty four well, or something like a that. Less but, a, yeah, a little yeah. less. Yeah, correct. So I mean, so twelve hours of interrogation. And then he had the press conference and talked to I. I did not know this that he talked to his brother until I read your book. What I, I, I read yeah, that I, I read that and sat there and tried to dialogue that through my head, like you know, as a 
I'm just sitting there going, man, this, this, how do you treat your family yeah. like that? I mean, so trying to manipulate them too. He was, he wasn't. Um, yeah, he, he spoke to Marina and he spoke to Robert Oswald and even Robert wrote in his diary, which I published part of that, which is in the Warren Commission volumes themselves. You know, Robert knew that, you know, Oswald was guilty, that his brother was guilty. He could see it in his eyes. And, uh, also, during Robert's um, visit with Oswald, he requested um, John Apt, who is a communist, who's the lead uh, attorney for the Communist Party USA, which Robert didn't know at the time. So there's a lot of interesting things with Robert's uh, uh, visit with Lee. Um, but yeah, he was allowed to see uh, some family members, which is it's amazing. Yeah, and the I think I don't remember his first name, but Apt, the lawyer, that John Apt. Here, yeah. yeah, here we are. I mean, we, as we bounce, play this back and forth today, I mean, that would be something that would sure. be easily accessible to the common person. But I can't right. imagine the leading co- – I mean, obviously, we had a, a study in that. But still, to come up with that and then retain it and then try to use it for your benefit. Because, I mean, if he requests a lawyer and stops questioning and then, you you know, pulling – I don't want to say a name out of random, right? I mean, obviously, right. he knows who he no, was. Okay. But – it. A guy he's never met. True. Well, you know, he he's he had written to the Communist Party USA earlier when he was requesting membership and requesting information, so they still had the information on file at that organization. But a lot of officers didn't know who Apt was. He even spelled it A B T for them. Robert Oswald had no idea who he was. And Robert goes, Hey, I'll get you a lawyer from here and he goes, No, I want this one. So he's very adamant that the premier attorney for the Communist Party of the United States represent Oswald. I think that's often overlooked. It's very significant. Um, he said if he couldn't get him apt, then he would get a lawyer from the ACLU. And in fact, his last words being let out to his transfer was he wants a representative from the American Civil Liberties Union. The, I mean, he, he did he ever fully invoke his light in saying he wasn't going to talk without an attorney present, though? Well, now, again, remember, and I also articulate in my book, these court cases, like Miranda, and the and the court cases of the Supreme Court cases with lineups, and that kind of had not come out yet. So he said he wanted to talk to a lawyer, and he wasn't going to say anything else until he talked to a lawyer. And I said, we can call a lawyer anytime you want. And he did call Apt, uh, but of course didn't get it. Apt was on vacation. Um, but then he would talk again. So this has been an interesting case study in that the, the Miranda had not been had not been official yet, and he kept talking. Now, what would have been admissible and what would not have been is beyond my scope because I'm not an attorney. But uh, you know, he started talking again, and then it was on again. Then he would stop, and then they'd lead him back up to his cell, bring him down again. He would start talking again. Well, I need today. That would be an interesting. I need to find an attorney. It would be. A, turn, right. a, a, yeah. histor- yeah. a story in her attorney who could put that in the right perspective. Germantown Runner, in the context I know you're out- of a, a- <laughs> Germantown Runner, I know you're out there listening. Make a note for me. We've got to get that done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be very, you know, now, of course, it's mute now because, you know, it's because nothing, it's not going to come to anything, but it's interesting to see, you know, in the context of 1963, what they think would happen. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter now, but it would just be an interesting no. conversation to have. I mean... Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And I you know, as a as a former law enforcement officer, I know that a lot of procedures and policies we have are a result of court case decisions and lawsuits and and that kind of thing. So uh, there's no doubt that um, that uh, I think some of the statements would have been inadmissible. But you know, I guess that's a story for another time. I mean, there's a joke that behind every good policy is a good a good backstory. <laughs> that, you know, when a policy came out in the sheriff's office, you're like, oh, that's, that's deputy so-and-so. We know where that came from. Yeah. You know, the pursuit policy or the taser policy. Oh, yeah, I know that. I was there. You know, and so, yeah, that's, you're, you're exactly right. That's it. That's how it works. So speaking of German Tenor, he wants me to ask you, was Lee Harvey Oswald a Soviet agent, as he as some, some have claimed, oh. or was he... Was he a, a Soviet stooge is the, fin- the final part of that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think in my second book, um, Hunter of Fascists, The Radicalization of Oswald, I think 
No, he was looking for something. Uh, he was too unstable. And in fact, I, there, there are statements from KGB saying, you know, we were going to try to groom him and see what he could do. But you know, when you threaten to commit suicide and you have this quote unquote suicide attempt, um, he was mentally, they deemed him mentally unstable and they didn't want to get rid of him. I mean, they didn't want to use him. They wanted just to go away. When he didn't go away, they kind of acquiesced, thinking that eventually he'll be disillusioned with Russia, which he did, and he would want to come back. So, no, I think it was just someone who wanted to get away from his mother, who wanted to start a new life, who read Marxist, uh, 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 Karl Marx, and thought this was going to be his new life. Is I see nothing a- that shows him being an agent, in my opinion. It's it's an interesting tale, and I like you know just interweaves with all these different little things. But he was only in Russia for what ten months or something like that, if that. Well, a total of well, he from fifty nine until sixty two, so almost three years, and he accomplished a lot in his short life. And I think you know that when you study Lee Harvey Oswald, you realize he was he had a lot of ambition, and he would do anything to get done what he wanted to get done so it's uh, you know there's a show somewhere i said that um people often startled by his um his enthusiasm uh so that's the way he was when he set his mind to something he was going to do it when he wanted to shoot walker he planned it out he wrote it out he photographed it and then he did it and so i don't, I don't think that's just the way he is very very ambitious and very very motivated yeah i was going to say Definitely intent, and in, uh, not intent. Um, intense. There we go. Close. Correct. And and right. driven by some of the things he did. Okay, so it was random question at this point. Is there anything that you? Pay, I mean, you you've probably how long do you spend right putting this book together? Uh, a little over a year. I was uh, finished up my degree in history. And um, I'm a single dad, so I was busy doing that as well. So a little over a year. I went to Dallas, met Jim LaBelle a couple times. So eh, it was a little over a year project. So in that year... But I've been studying it since I was 10. Well, yeah, but in that... Well, in the concentration... Well, I guess this is... We'll open it back up. Anything that you picked up about him that just seems... I don't want to say odd, because obviously the whole thing's kind of odd, but that's just a little detail that just stands out amongst the rest, like... Something that you still have a hard time wrapping your head around? Uh, that's a good question. Mexico City. You know, I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone killed President Kennedy. But I've never been fully satisfied that when we went to Mexico City that he may not have been influenced by others, whether it was Cubans or, or, or otherwise. Uh, there's certainly, I don't see any credible evidence of that, but Mexico City has always been this, this, this question mark. I hate to say... Never say never. So I'm not going to say there was no conspiracy to kill Kennedy. I think Oswald did it alone. Whether or not he was influenced or helped by somebody else, you know, that's I think that question will always be there. Kind of, you know, it's, it's something that I just don't have the answer to. I mean, because it, it seems like everybody has their own backstory theory from the Russians to the sure. Cubans to right. other communist groups well, around, you know. Sure. So it's it is. Well, I'm gl- you know. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go I was gonna say it is interesting to hear when people say they think he acted alone. To me, that, I mean, because you get clouded by all this other stuff. But then you you mentioned the, the the drive and the intention that we were just talking about, and you go, oh, yeah. here we go. You know, you flip. As I'm sitting here waving the hands, and you flip it back a little bit, and you go, well, yeah, that's probably there's some accuracy to that. So it comes back. And here we are debating well, think, this think about, year, 50 year, well, oh, yeah. 55 years later, whatever it is. It'd be, yeah, it'd be 50, I think it'd be 56 years this November, or the anniversary date. And, yeah, I mean, think of it in today's standards. What if someone in the military defected to Iraq and tried to join ISIS? You know, that kind of thing. And then, and then came back to the United States and, uh, you know, tried to assassinate uh, I know, a politically divisive uh, leader. I mean, this is, you get to look at it in today's terms as well. I mean, it's just insane what, how he was motivated. And, uh, and, uh, he definitely was, my next book will show, I think he was becoming radicalized. And in today's world, Lee Harvey Oswald will be considered a terrorist. There's no doubt about it. And you go back all the way to, 
the Walker assassination attempt. That's when it really became uh, politicized. Do, do you, well, well, let's let's take it back a step further. If we're going today's world, would he have been um, labeled as a terrorist in New Orleans then, because he was handing out propaganda for the other side? Well, just like in New Orleans, he was. Uh, there's no doubt. I used to work for in the, in the gang unit. I know how that works. That he would definitely be on the intelligence list for the for the at that time for the New Orleans Police Department. Um, the feds might have gotten involved. But, you know, we're living in a post-9-11 world. So, case we're, so of course, we're hyper-vigilant and we're more aware of what of, of the world around us. Uh, so, if we'll do that today, he would definitely be on some sort of watch list. I have no doubt about that. And who hands out leaflets on the corner? I'll say it. He's probably the angry guy at the Starbucks typing away on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's right. Yeah. Remember that. Remember that email address I referenced at the beginning of the show. Uh, oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I, I guess. I mean, I had heard there was. I guess the level of detail that you presented. I may. I never actually. I guess maybe this is my bias. I never looked into the arrest portion of it. Right. I mean, I mm-hmm. knew there was a little. You know, scuffle at the movie theater, and you, you know. But then you. Presented well, in details, and I did, you know, go ahead, tell me a little bit more about that, because I think that gets overlooked in this whole process of trying to figure it out. And it, and it wasn't a scuffle. He pulled out his gun and pulled the trigger, saying, hey, it's all over now, you know, and started trying to kill his arresting officers, as maybe Tibbet's still lying on the ground, or he's being transported to the hospital. He's trying to kill these arresting officers. So, you know, as he's being let out, uh, he gets he's in the backseat of the police car, sandwiched between two officers, and they said, uh, uh, I don't know why you've done this to me. Uh, all I did was carry a, 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 a pistol to a theater. And he goes, no, sir, you've done more than that. You've killed a police officer. And he kind of smirks. And he goes, well, a police officer been killed? And no one says anything. And he goes, well, I, I hear they burn for murder. And he goes, you may find out. Now, who says that? If someone had told me that I'd been arrested for killing a police officer, I would have gone ballistic. You don't know what you're talking about. You got the wrong guy. Let me see your supervisor. You know, why you got me in handcuffs? The real murderer is out there. Whatever. But yeah, he resigns look- his fate. Yeah, why aren't you looking for the real killer? Because it's not me. Right. Right. You know, so he's like, oh, I heard they burn. And he goes, well, he goes, you may find out. And he goes, well, they say it only takes a second to die. Okay. Who says that? It only takes a second to die. That'd be, and that's, that's not something that an innocent person would say. I just don't believe it. I've arrested people for murder before I arrest a guy who had the actual murder weapon on him. And, uh, I can tell you that that is not something an innocent person says he's resigned to his fate. He's been caught with a murder weapon on him. He knows it's a, it's a matter of time before, um, they realize he's the only book depository employee who didn't stick around to give a verbal or written statement to law enforcement. When they put all this together and they find his rifle, he knows his time's up. It just fascinates me. It the, fascinates the, me. The Texas theater. It, it is. And it was a suicide by cop. Yeah, you know, I was, I was, that's officers. what I had in my notes here, suicide by police. Yeah. And when I read that in your book, I went, that really threw me, because I thought that was kind of more of a modern phenomenon. It, well, you would think so. And back then, it wasn't. we didn't have the social media and other uh, news av- avenues of obtaining news information that we do now. But it's happened, that's happened before in my career. You know, and people know that the time is up. And why not go out in a blaze of glory and have somebody else do it for you? Because you can't do it yourself. And I've seen that. So, you know, police officers are approaching. It's all over now. Pull that pistol and pulls the trigger. He was hoping that somebody would shoot him. But, of course, the exercise more restraint than he did. And he took him in alive. And but see, this is, this is the part, again, here I am with the scales in my hands. If the if if they would have actually just dropped him there in the theater, right? We never got any questions right. answered. We never got any of that, right? Yeah. We find right. out he was a communist. We draw. I mean, that becomes a really strong, easy bridge to the burn down, right? Because his history. Right. But on the other hand, I think he wanted to be. I think he wanted his shot to tell a story in court, though. Uh, that's true. And I mean, he might have been thinking that way. I mean, who knows what he was thinking. I think he was incredulous that he got out of the book depository in the first place. Now, I've done presidential details before, and he may have been thinking that 
you know, are they going to search me on the way to the book depository? Will the police have sealed out the building? You know, will they frisk me? Will they search all the vehicles, which we do? And they didn't do any of that. So I think it's kind of incredulous. He's able to walk in unfettered and walk in the book depository and secrete his rifle until things calm down. He's able to get his nest together and that kind of thing. So I think after, you know, that's why he waited until all, until Kennedy passed behind him and their backs are to him because now everybody's looking away from him. So I think he was kind of surprised he wasn't uh, shot during the process of the assassination or afterwards. And now what are you going to do? Now he's making it up as he goes along, going in the bus, then getting impatient and going to the taxi, uh, that kind of thing. I don't think he knew what he was going to do. That seems more like a modern phenomenon, though, searching people. I guess this is probably after Kennedy, right? Where the the, the, the Secret Service shakes everything down within... And, and nowadays, the Secret Service is a very small entity. We have the advanced people that come, but they rely on local law enforcement. And in this case, in Florida, it's the Sheriff's Office, the PD, the Highway Patrol, other um, agencies help out. Uh, they depend on us to cover bridges and roadways and intersections and, and, that, and that sort of thing. But back then, I mean, you know, they, you know, they depend uh, on the PD, but it fell short. Nothing like this had ever happened before. The president was driving around in an open limousine. <laughs> That's that tell you the mindset. Yeah. That's that going. tell you the mindset of back then. I was going to say, that would probably be the first thing that would change. Oh, that, yeah, that was the last time somebody ever did that. Oh, yeah, definitely. So that that right then in itself should tell you this was a different time, a different way of thinking, and Oswald exploited that and used it to his advantage. Just, It's still remarkable to think about how you get from from up there. Well, work, going to work. I mean, A, you're going to work. It's right. not like you're – I mean – to shooting the president, to sure. um, from the bus to the taxi to changing right. to getting to the I mean, just how I mean, I don't know. I'm sitting here trying to think, you know, of my day, trying to do all that stuff and remain sane. Well, you know, but see, you're not a murderer. I mean, I'm I'm losing really certain you're not. So you know, you're not a murderer. You're, you know, you're not a killer. You don't you know you don't have this criminal mind that he had. So I think he was in a different, he was just in a different world and he was, you know, you know, he was waiting for the northbound Beckley bus after he got his pistol, but he realized, I believe every second he stands at that bus stop is one more second. The police are going to show up at that intersection. So he's got to go. And I think he was just walking around the side streets, staying off the major thoroughfares that the police would use, just trying to figure things out and kind of quiet his mind a little bit. So he could try to think, you know, eventually he knows he's going to get caught. They all do. It's just how much longer can I have that taste of freedom before I am eventually apprehended? You're gonna to have to help me with this because this is sure. this is something I haven't thought of until right this second. So, how long between the assassination and it becoming known that they, he was the person of interest? Well, shoots the president at twelve thirty. He shoots Tippett at one one fifteen or so. There's a little bit of debate about that. And he's arrested about half an hour later. By the time they get him to the police station, they already have his name. Uh, uh, Roy Truly had gone up to uh, Captain Fritz and said, hey, we have, an empl- we have a- I have a man that is missing. And he was the only employee missing. Now, there was one employee that went up Houston Street for about 15 minutes when he came back. Oswald was the only one not sticking around that Truly uh, noticed. By the time Truly gave that information to Fritz, Fritz went back to the to headquarters. Um, Oswald was uh, in, already in the hallway. So the Texas Book Depository was like, were, was it the, the building that was singled out instantly, or was as they were going around? Because there were other well, buildings there. Oh, you know, in, in, you know, in hindsight, they should have shut everything down. They should have roped everything off. Is a one huge crime scene. Of course, it didn't happen. But people went to the book depository because they, you know, you had Howard Brennan, you had others saying that they thought shots had come from there. You had Baker, Officer Baker, uh, go to the book depository because that's where the shots had come from. But then others went to the grassy knoll because people were just running and fleeing and they had no idea where the shots had come from. So it was, it was chaos. And that's to be expected. 
for uh, you know an unexpected event such as this. So, but after a while, when nothing is found in the grass knoll area, they started to focus more on the book depository. As the evidence started piling up with witnesses and finding the rifle, the missing depository employee, that kind of thing. So I'm just as I'm sitting here, you know, as you read that timeline, I'm scribbling notes and I'm thinking the adrenaline is something, but I mean. You weren't necessarily wanted at that point either. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm jaded with today's perspective, right? Your image isn't all over right. social media, and there's not a manhunt for you right. yet. But he knows it's coming. He knows that it's coming. He knows he did it. That's what, you know, he knows that he committed this crime. He knows that eventually they're going to realize they're going to find his rifle. They're going to trace it to him and his alias eventually. He's missing. They're going to want to talk to him. So they know, he knows that eventually they're going to come knocking on his door. He's not stupid. So, so well, uh, I get, yeah. then I got this other follow-up that's really stupid, but sure. we're going to play it out anyways. So why not just steal a car <laughs> and just drive it off into the the West Texas desert? Gotcha. Well, that's a good question. Only he, you know, only he can, can, um, can answer that. There are some who say, well, it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, when I was with, Detective Lavelle last year, my ten year old son was talking to him about Oswald. Uh, Lavelle goes, I ah, you know Oswald was too dumb to even drive and that kind of thing. He couldn't drive doesn't mean he couldn't find some car by happenstance and find the keys left in it. It's that's his thing. But he always used he didn't drive. He always used public transportation. Always. Um, that's why he used the bus and that's why he used a taxi. Uh, I think trying to find a vehicle like that or trying to carjack somebody, you know, didn't have a term back then. He could have, but that brings more attention to you. Now they're going to have an ATV on your vehicle. And I think it draws more attention. I think he just kind of wanted to kind of remain in the background. Well, then that throws the other option. I mean, obviously, well, you need another place to hide. Obviously, you can't hide at your house eventually because they'll come looking for you there. Right. I don't think he had a plan. I think... And obviously, who knows? It's pure speculation. I hate doing that because as a cop, I deal in facts and not speculation. But, you know, that's all we have at this point, what he was thinking. But I don't think he really thought that far out. I think he thought he might be killed or stopped in the, in the process of it or, or apprehended. I, I just don't know. Yeah, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, adrenaline carries you so far. And then once you do something, I mean, something that gets you amped up to a level that neither of us have seen. I can't imagine right. even if you had a rote plan that you'd want to follow it at that point. Correct. You know, we have a thing in, um, in law enforcement called the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, and act. And I think he was stuck in that loop. He was trying to, you know, trying to decide what he's going to do, trying to you know, put all this, where's he going to go? He has no friends. Uh, DeMorne Shield is already in Haiti. You know, he doesn't have any friends. Uh, Ruth Payne is in Irving, but they're going to come there too. He knows. So what do you do? He was he was just lost. He had nowhere to go. And uh, and I think he, and I think that's why he was doing that suicide by cop scenario. What else? What else is he going to do? He has nowhere else to go. So, <laughs> being the awesome interviewer that I am, or the the worst interviewer <laughs> that I could be, uh, we're not going to decide that here now. But you you get into the audio. What do, what do you call that? The audio processing that you oh, do. Oh, the computer voice stress analysis. Okay, so walk me through that process before we get into Oswald's. Just give me the synopsis of okay. that. Essentially, and I explain this much more in detail in my book, and I'm not a CSA expert. That's why I had an expert do this for me. Um, essentially, if the lay explanation is this, the human voice is an AM and FM radio. Like the, the human voice uh, puts out an AM frequency and FM frequency. When someone is being deceptive, the FM frequency vanishes. The CVSA detects the vanishing of that frequency in your voice and then produces the chart. That's kind of the easiest way to kind of dumb it down so everybody can understand it, including myself. <laughs> what well, works. It makes it made, made it make sense for me, which is a good thing. Uh, that's the way <laughs> right now. Of course, in detail, I haven't put out how exactly it works. Because um, I took one when I was a cop, my '99. Uh, uh, I want to say I took one for law enforcement employment. So I've done it myself, and even though I was nervous, like a big thing in the last podcast I gave. Oh well, he was nervous. 
well, so was I. And it doesn't show up on that. Nerves have nothing to do with it at all. Because Oswald, you know, the midnight press conference you mentioned, uh, did you shoot the president? He goes, no, I've not been charged with that. Well, no has um, uh, a large amount of stress on it, hard block stress. I have not been charged as no stress because he wasn't charged with killing Kennedy until after that press conference. So he lied and told the truth in the same breath. And CBSA showed that. And, of course, Oswald was nervous. I'm sure he would have been nervous, but we can't get into his mind. So it shows it's really um, – the science is kind of scary. How you can take any recorded voice, and as long as you have a uh, certified ethical examiner, it's, uh, it's scary what it can do. Well, as, as you're going through that, I was sitting here thinking the difference between that and the polygraph, because isn't polygraph based on your your pulse and your heart rate? There's a lot of physiological – correct. And there are a lot of – there's antipolygraph.org, and there are a lot of measures to try to defeat the polygraph. I've taken a polygraph for law enforcement employment as well, and they measure your pulse, of course your heart rate, if your, you know, your fingertips get sweaty, uh, that kind of thing. And there are countermeasures for that. There are no – known countermeasures for the CVSA. Uh, so I found it very, very interesting. That's right. I guess that's where I was headed because, I mean, as well, here we are, 21st century technology, audio, sure. because audio is easier to record and then analyze now. Than, sure. Sure. I mean, it'll be easier tomorrow than it is today, even. <laughs> Absolutely. No, absolutely. And that's the thing. Also, you know, George O'Toole, those who are well-versed in the assassination, George O'Toole wrote a 1975 book called The Assassination Tapes. Now, O'Toole passed away in 91. I obviously couldn't interview him. Uh, no one in his family. I couldn't contact any of them. Uh, but he only took a three-day orientation course. That was it. And then he went off and did his own investigation, his own tapes, his own interpretations, that kind of thing. I use someone who's been in the business for 20 years who works for the man that created the CVSA. So I think it's a huge difference. Is you know, O'Toole was a conspiracy theorist. I have a picture of my book with him next to Robert Groden and Donald Freed, Mark Lane, those, those kind of, uh, Garrison, those type of folks. But my investigator, Jerry Crotty, had no dog in the fight. In fact, he had not even read a single book on the Kennedy assassination, had no idea O'Toole had even written his book until I showed it to him. I mean, I just fasc- I mean, the whole uh, tool thing is fascinating to me because, well, I mean, well, to go out and just, I mean, hey, let's get a hey, credit where credits due, right? To take the audio and sure. do anything with it, oh yeah, is still remarkable. Of course, of course what he did with it, well, w- you have questions and so do I. Of course, we're never going to get the answers to those either. But so, but okay, so I don't want. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You don't want to do. Uh, go ahead. I don't want to. I don't. I do not want to spare the dead. I don't do that. I don't, for example, when I showed Jerry Crotty the tapes, for, you know, Tool's book that uh, showed, um, I didn't shoot anybody, no, sir. Well, O'Toole said that shows no stress. I'm like, Jerry, it's showing no stress, but in your sample, your analysis, it's showing stress. He goes, let me show it to my boss, which is the guy that created CBSA. And this is what I found out, that they're in the PSE, the Psychological Stress Evaluator, the machine that George O'Toole used, there were two modes, A and B. A was for uh, um, A was for mode one and two. One is for the human, uh, the male voice, because we have bass in our voice, and mode two is for the female voice. Uh, their voices do not contain bass. So what they told me was that O'Toole used the wrong mode. He used sequence two instead of one, and that's how he was able to. And you can change between mode one and two in the PSE during the examination. You, you, you can, you can change the speed that it's recording. And that's what he did. Now, what he did it on purpose, whether it was an accident because he was a novice, he only took a three day course. You know, those intentions are known only to O'Toole. I don't want to say anything bad about him, but it's completely wrong. That book is completely, uh, that analysis is, is, is dead wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's just, like I said, more questions than answers, but we'll never get the answers. So we'll just leave that fade into no, the sunset, <laughs> sunset for now. No, 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 I get that. The thing I want to add, well, then I had the PSC machines no longer work. The stylus and the paper, they're, they don't have the parts anymore. So I had them run O'Toole's, um, I didn't show anybody, no, sir, analysis to the CVSA on the other mode, and I almost mirrored the results that O'Toole had. 
So I not only did I kind of, you know, I said the analysis was wrong, I duplicated his error on what he did. Which is phenomenal, because I do remember seeing the pictures of the two graphs, and they, they I don't want to say matched 100%, but it was pretty close based off my little finger. It, no, it was, but you got to remember, one was a PSE, this was down with the computer voice stress analysis, so you're not going to get a 100% match, but it was it was close. That's the well, best we can do, because machines don't exist anymore. Or they do, they the parts are no longer available. As I say, within my margin of error for analysis sure. done. Right. 30, 40 years apart. <laughs> As I count in fingers again. This is too much <laughs> This is too, too much mental math in one show. Uh, <laughs> oh, terrible math. I know I hate it. <laughs> and the worst part is I was sitting here thinking, is there anything I need to you know jot down on the little margins of my notes to make sure we're you know, good? None of this math showed up in that. Um, so through the process of the evaluation of all the audio, and I don't, don't give your book right. away. I mean, obviously, you had, the word, oh, what, okay. Did that change your mind at all based off the audio analysis versus what you read, actually just physically read? It just confirmed what I had already read. Which was that you believe he acted alone that, and... Absolutely. Now, correct. The, the conditions were not ideal with the CBSA. All we have are his recorded voices for, you know, from the media from his presentation, and that's all we have. Um, so it's not ideal, but from what we have, yeah, the CVSA results were absolutely 100% consistent with him um, killing President Kennedy Officer Tippett. And what's amazing is he lied and told the truth throughout that. So it's kind of cool to see you know, what he told the truth on and then what he, uh, what he lied on. And that kind of shows you what his mind was. He would tell the truth on questions that weren't criminal, but then once you get into criminality and guilt, he would totally shut down or lie. Which which is interesting. I mean, yeah. that he would even humor the truth any, at any point, just not try to roll right. the, the whole thing over. Um, question from Germantown Runner here. Let's get that one. Um, is there any conspiracy in this Kennedy assassination topic that you believe has any credibility whatsoever? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, to murder the president? No. Um, wow, that's a, that's a that's a really good one. I'm, I'm usually not speechless. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's anything criminal involved. Um, you know, the, the FBI did cover their tracks, but that's a good that's a good example. Uh, you know, the FBI had Hosty destroy the the note that Oswald gave them, and then they denied it happened, uh, and they wanted to try to disavow themselves annoying Oswald. Uh, so yeah, there were, there were people who try to cover themselves. It's wrong. It's not, it's inexcusable. Even as a cop, I tell you they were wrong. The FBI did try to cover their tracks or try to minimize what they knew about Oswald to, uh, try to keep their image uh, intact. But yeah, that didn't happen. As far as killing JFK, no, as part of trying to cover their, uh, cover themselves and to kind of control any damage from them, that they should have known about Oswald, they should have done something about it? Yes. So I think I know the answer to this question, which is, as my, yeah. as attorneys that come on this show tell me, don't ask questions you don't know yeah. the answer to because, you know, that gets <laughs> ugly. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. No, absolutely. It, now, I normally ask people with, like, a gold ticket, like, one travel or whatever, you know, but I'm going to gold ticket you one piece of evidence, Some. I think, like I said, I think I think I know what it is. Recordings of the actual interrogations, but is am I right? Is that what you'd want, or would you want that, some other documentation? No, if we had the interrogations. I was very perceptive. We have the interrogations verbatim. I'd, I'd love that because there is some disparity. I published for the first time some uh, hosties note that was recently that was found in the National Archives that Oswald said he was downstairs watching the presidential parade, which was what the third different. Uh, uh, location he said he was during the assassination. So I'd love to see, um, I'd love to have that audio statement. We have a, uh, a perfect record of it. But uh, yeah, it's one of the maddening things about the assassination. It was so easy to do, and they should have done it, never did. So the last hard question I have for you tonight is the title of the book, Malcontent. I know there was, right. there's, there's a, an actual point to that. You want to get into that for a second? 
There is. Well, they asked him during the interrogation, they asked him about his, about Oswald's view of President Kennedy. And his response was, in part, I'm not a malcontent. Well, nobody asked you if you were. You, know, you volunteered you weren't a malcontent, but nobody even asked you if you were. So that's kind of self-betraying behavior. It's like, well, I'm not a malcontent. Nothing irritated me about the president. No one asked you that. No, malcontent is not a very commonly used word uh, in the English vernacular, so I don't understand. No, that's him. I think he was a malcontent. I think he, that was his self-betraying behavior that, that uh, that's exactly what he was during life. He was a malcontent. I think that was very, in my opinion anyway, that's very revealing. He volunteered something when he wasn't even asked about it. Yeah, when I, when I, when you emailed me and then actually when the book arrived, I opened it up and went, malcontent. That's not a word you right. hear every day. Not. No. <laughs> no. Hey, straight, hey, straight from his lips. It was the first time anyone said malcontent was from Lee Harvey Oswald himself so yeah so speaking of the book that i have in my hands where can people get this book mm -hmm. it's on amazon of course uh my website seandegrilla.com has a lot of some of the charts and some audio from lee harvey also that i used and you can uh purchase the book there as well and if you want to email me at seandegrilla at gmail.com or email me on my website um i can probably get them the book cheaper and send them an autographed copy if they like well, Sean, this has been fun, and when the other book gets done, you know where to find me, right? Because we got to come back and yes, talk about this again. Yes, sir, I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and I'll get you. I'll get you this this show next week. Let's continue on this loop as I talk, because the next week will be. Yeah, anyways, thanks, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. And that, that's Sean the Gorilla there. What a what a fascinating thing! I told you this was not another Kennedy conspiracy show. This was so much different and so enjoyable to get on the other side of the coin, Lee Harvey Oswald, right? Do we all agree that was different and worth listening to? Okay. Um, I want to thank everybody who joined us live tonight from uh, Brian Bowden to Walks at Night to Germantown Runner. Great questions as usual. Uh, Cat Ward, go, go pass your test. Um, I've seen Angie from New York. Who else did I miss in there? Did I miss somebody? I feel like I missed somebody. If I did, I'm sorry. Good to see everybody. Good to see everybody on the pond. I opened my email this morning and found this. This this excites me. I've been talking about this for the last few weeks. I've been reading iTunes reviews, and here comes a new one today. Bam. You ready? I love this. Fun and interesting. Five stars. Man, that feels good. Jim produces a very clean and professional show. Unlike my spelling, it's mis professionals misspelled, but that's okay. Um, and has a wide variety of guests, which I never thought would be possible. Jim knows what he is talking about and enjoys his show slash job every time it is live. I would give him the king of the pond. Well, thank you, sir. I do enjoy kind reviews, and I have read the negative reviews on this program as well. So, let's start wrapping this bad boy up. That's what we're doing here. Uh, Mallard.com, M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D. Come over and check out the new layout of the website. Not new layout per se, but at the top. Let's go through the top real quick, everybody. you got the, the banner ad for the pond where you join us every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Live. Come chat with me and other listeners like Germantown Runner and all these phenomenal people, great people I just listed. The Mallard Report 24-7 and the cool new look for that. That's the only place you'll see the cool new look. You'll also see who is playing, which is a new feature, and then who is coming up. Who's the next person you're going to be listening to if you want to get more information about them. Uh, you can sign up for the newsletter, which is back in full force, and that'll be the place to be watching the next few weeks and months as I uh, continuously pump updates about what how I'm doing and what's going on with my life out to you as I'm um, impending doom, right? So also I want to mention along the side, you got the new, well, the affiliates list has been there, but it's been updated. And the new search, the search, if you need to search up a guest or a topic, man, and it's phenomenal. It helped me this last week having the search bar right there. And plus, it's plain and simple, some of the best shows right below that that I've done. And then down at the bottom of the website, some of the great affiliates I have, which are Shark Radio Network, the Spark Radio Net dot work, and Ad Free Talk Radio. One of my favorite sites on the planet because it's my site. Until next week, everybody.
Have a good week. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. 